Thank you, Lee. And over these two Sundays, we'll be thinking about Christmas and its purpose in God's plan. And we'll base it on Luke's Gospel, the first two chapters. So it'll be helpful if you keep your Bible open today at chapter 1. Chapter 1. Now we go back in history to a time when the conquests of Alexander the Great and the teachings of the Greek philosophers had left a dramatic impact on the world from Europe right across to India. Then in time, Rome became the dominant world power, backed by its powerful army. And on the eastern edge of its sprawling empire, there was constant friction with Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. A rabbi named Jesus had come and taught about God's kingdom on earth but he had been crucified. Now, this was Luke's world. He was not a Jew. He was a Gentile. But he was very well educated. He was skilled in the Greek language. He had broad cultural awareness and he trained as a medical doctor. He was also a friend and a travelling companion of the Apostle Paul who referred to him in one of his letters as our dear friend Luke, the doctor. Now Luke wrote his gospel maybe about AD 60. That is about 30 years after the death of Jesus. He also wrote the book of Acts and both books are addressed to Theophilus, a friend and perhaps a patron of Luke but otherwise he is unknown to us. Luke is the major contributor to the text of the New Testament. A little bit more in terms of pages than Paul and his work shows him to be a scholarly writer, a thorough researcher and a faithful servant of Jesus, the Son of God. The first generation of Christian believers had been familiar with Jesus and the apostles and their ministries, but Luke belonged to the second generation And he was concerned about those who were of his generation and did not know those of the previous generation. And he wanted them to have an authoritative record of the events of that earlier period. Now we see from the opening verses of his gospel that Luke collected first-hand information from eyewitnesses and faithful followers of Jesus so he could write an orderly account of the Christian faith. His intention was to assure Theophilus 
that what he had learned previously about Jesus he could believe with confidence. Now we take a look over these weeks at the first two chapters of his gospel and today it's chapter 1 and next week uh, we'll go into chapter 2. So what's the structure of the chapter? What does it look like in broad terms? Michael Wilcock writes in his book, The Message of Luke, that there is nothing like this chapter anywhere else in the Gospels. Luke chose to start his story at the point in time when after 400 years when no prophet of God had been heard, news came that there would be such a man who would appear again to speak God's words to Israel. In chapter 1, Luke provides a brief introduction and then he describes four key events that preceded the birth of Jesus. Now, the first one was the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist. Then there comes the announcement of the birth of Jesus. Third event, the visit of Mary to Elizabeth. And then the fourth event in the chapter, the actual birth of John the Baptist. Now that's what the chapter looks like in broad terms. We go first to the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist, verses 5 to 25. Luke tells us that Herod was king of Judea and that sets for us the time and place of these events. Zechariah was from an ancient Jewish priestly line and took his turn to serve at the altar in the temple in Jerusalem. His wife Elizabeth was a descendant of Aaron going back over a thousand years and in verse 6 Judy read for us that these two were righteous in the sight of God observing all the Lord's commandments they were old but they did not have a family because they could not have a family Now, to some of Luke's early readers, this might have sounded like uh, something like a fairy tale. Once upon a time, there was a little old man and a little old woman, and one day an angel appeared and said to Zechariah, Zechariah, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. It seemed almost too much for Zechariah and it actually left him speechless. The angel went on to give some details about the name, the life and the ministry of this promised child. And in summary from verse 14, he will be a joy and delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth, because he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit and make ready a people prepared for the Lord. 
few parents are given such glowing previews of their children. And we can understand something of Zachariah's surprise. This is going to happen to us. But the supernatural visitor continued and said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to tell you this good news. Now to have a child in old age would certainly be a big news story. What did Luke think about it? I mean, he was a doctor. He knew about conception and age and infertility problems. And he was writing this some 60 years after it actually happened. And he was unlikely to accept some kind of supernatural intervention unless he was sure that it was true. This child, John, would be a new prophet and he would introduce to the world of his day Jesus, the Son of God, the Saviour. It was not only big news, it was good news. Well, verse 24, Elizabeth did become pregnant and her view of it was that the Lord has done this for me. We learn here that a sovereign God was at work in his world. He did not choose those who were the newsmakers of their day, but rather he chose a couple of hundred of uh, simple and humble people, but people who knew and served and worshipped God. Now event number two. The announcement of the birth of Jesus, verses 26 to 38. Luke takes us some 110 kilometres north to Nazareth and the same angelic messenger, Gabriel, had a word for a young peasant girl soon to be married to a man who was a descendant of David. So we meet another couple They don't have any children, not because they could not, but because they had not. Mary's virginity was an important theological factor in this event and Gabriel's message that Mary was to have a child naturally raised some concerns. Yet her child would be great and called the Son of the Most High. In due time, God would give him the throne of David and his kingdom would never end. In verse 35, Gabriel mentioned a second supernatural agent, the Holy Spirit, who would come upon Mary and the power of God would overshadow her, resulting in conception. This was almost unbelievable. 
However, remembering Luke's character, we accept that he recorded these events because he was sure they were true. Now, for a young person, uh, inexperienced in married life, let alone family responsibilities, Mary gave a surprising response. In verse 38, she speaks as an obedient servant of the Lord and she confirmed her commitment to this unexpected event that had been revealed to her by Gabriel. Her child would be named Jesus, meaning the Lord is salvation. And this actually becomes the theme for the remainder of Luke's gospel. Now the third event, the visit of Mary to Elizabeth, verses 39 through to 56. This third event took place in a town in the hill country of Judea, possibly just west of Jerusalem. Now, Mary was related to Elizabeth and she decided she would like to visit her. In verse 41, having heard Mary's greeting, Elizabeth herself was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she said of Mary, Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Mary responded with a psalm, which became known subsequently as the Magnificat. Now in her inspired song or psalm of praise to God, Mary says from verse 46, My soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour. He has performed mighty deeds. He has brought down rulers. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. But the others he sent away empty. How different are the ways of God to those of mortal men how different the kingdom of God and of his son to the kingdoms established by corrupt rulers of history now it is true that sometimes Mary's song has brought sad outcomes for some Christian communities because evil men have seen her song as a potential threat to their own corrupt regimes. But for other repressed people, her song has been an uplifting expression of precious hope. Of course, our troubled world still awaits the time when God's kingdom will be fully established three events now the fourth the actual birth of John the Baptist verses 57 to 80 now a few months after the previous event we read in verse 57 when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby she gave birth to a son 
now we can deduce that Zechariah must have been old because he seems to have forgotten that Gabriel gave a name for this boy. Elizabeth had to speak up saying, but he is to be called John. After a little debate, the matter was settled. I don't think Zechariah ever forgot this event because when he confirmed that the boy would be called John, his voice returned. In verse 67, Zechariah becomes another one, like Mary in the previous paragraph, who was filled with the Holy Spirit. And with his restored voice, he breaks out into a song of praise and prophecy, which became known as the Benedictus. And with his restored voice, he praised the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. But there's a little problem here. The understanding of redemption and salvation had become tangled in Jewish minds. Now we see this in verse 71 where Zechariah says in his song of the promised one God would raise up from the house of David, he has brought salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. And those listening to Zechariah, their main thought would have been Israel's deliverance from the Roman invaders who had occupied their land. That was a view of redemption and salvation. But at verse 76, this newborn child will be called a prophet of the Most High, going on before the Lord to prepare a way for him to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. The Jewish idea of salvation had to be corrected. Israel's enemies were a problem, but God's own people needed salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. A revolution in understanding was required, and soon John would prepare the way for the coming one, Jesus, who would bring salvation first to Israel and then to all people. And so the chapter closes telling us that the child, John, grew and became strong in spirit and he lived in the desert. Well, now some summing up. We saw what the chapter looked like in general terms. We've looked at the four events that Luke chooses to fill out the chapter. Now, what do we learn from them? Firstly, the events featured unexpected people. Luke has very little to say about the political leaders of the day or the business tycoons or the academic achievers and nothing at all about the sporting heroes. Instead, he wrote about little-known, humble folk. 
So we look a little closer at these people. In verses 5 and 6, we read that Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments. And then Mary was told, The Lord is with you. You have found favour with God. Now Luke was interested in people, but not the newsmakers of his day. By contrast, he wrote about humble folk, but known to God, people who trusted and obeyed him, even when it was not popular to do so. The events featured unexpected people. But then we notice the significance of Israel. We started off talking about Greeks and Romans, but Luke focuses on Israel. Israel's past, its God, its temple, its future. Israel's early prophets, such as Isaiah, had spoken of this coming one, the Messiah. And now some new events were happening in Israel. A new prophet was coming. A new saviour would be born. A new kingdom would be established. God's eternal plan was progressing onwards. Zechariah heard his news in the temple in Jerusalem. Your son will be great in the sight of the Lord. Mary's Jewish boy will be great and will be called the son of the Most High. Jesus the Saviour would carry out his ministry in Israel by the clear purpose of God. Third point. (coughs) The role of supernatural elements. This is a stumbling block for some people. In this chapter, the angel Gabriel featured in both the birth of John and the birth of Jesus. However, such intervention is not new in Scripture. In Genesis 12, God spoke to Abraham, I'll make you into a great nation and I'll bless you. In fact, all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. But Abraham had to reply, but I don't have any kids. But God intervened. His purposes will be fulfilled. And then the Holy Spirit is mentioned in all four events. Supernatural interventions impacted upon these rather common events of natural life. It was God who was at work in his world. Now such activities may defy our explanation but they are purposeful events which advance God's purposes and they were accompanied by confirming words. God can work as he chooses in the natural realm which after all is his handiwork and he often uses people who respond to his love and grace. Luke showed Theophilus that Christian faith is firmly established in history through acts of God that were witnessed by people 
and he expressed it in a written form for the benefit of us all. Truly, God's word is truth. Now, there's a fourth point that we can note here. Uh, There's a pattern for God's work in the future. And Luke actually gives us a glimpse into that future towards the end of his gospel. In chapter 21, he tells how Jesus warned his disciples about things that would happen in the last days. He told them in verse 20, when you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you know that its end is near. And we know that widespread trouble affects many people. Now there have been several times in history when Jerusalem has been surrounded by armies. Even today Jerusalem continues to be in the news and troubles multiply across the world. But there will come one such time when another supernatural event will occur. God will step again into human history. Quoting the words of Jesus himself, Luke says in verse 27 of chapter 21, at that time you will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. The moment when God's plan will actually be completed. Jesus will return as king and his kingdom will never end. Jesus went on to say to his disciples who were listening, be always on your watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. What a sight that will be when we all see him. God seeks humble people who believe and worship him. Jesus came into the world to save them. He returned to heaven to prepare a place for them and he will come back again to take them to be with him where he is. Now Luke's concern was that Theophilus knew this truth about Jesus. God's concern is that we know this truth about Jesus. Luke wrote to Theophilus and told him. God took Luke's gospel and put it in the Bible for us all to read about him. God intervened in the past. All was advancing his divine plan for the world and for its people. We live in the present when the same Holy Spirit instructs us concerning God's plan and reveals to us that it can include us. And God has given us a preview of the future 
that we might catch a glimpse of how his plan ends in great glory and splendour. God's plan is much more than a manger. It is much bigger than Bethlehem. But knowing the truth presents us with a responsibility. Do you understand God's plan? And when you do, it's our duty to respond to it. And our response determines where we spend eternity. Jesus is God's gift to you. Now, if there are things that I've not made clear, or if you want to know more about how to respond to God's revealed plan, or if things have happened and you've neglected God's plan, please speak to me afterwards or one of the elders. What a difference it will make if you get right with the one who sent his son to be your saviour. Friends, I'm going to suggest that we stand together now and that we pray together. And the words of the prayer are here on the screen. Let us pray together. Since we know these things, let us be on our guard so that we are not carried away by the error of lawless people or fall from our secure position. But may we grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be glory now and forever. Amen. Amen.